The Opening of the Will from The Flegeljahre by Jean-Paul Richter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rachel Novotny. The Opening of the Will. Since Haslau had been a princely residence, no one could remember any event, the birth of their heir apparent excepted, that had been awaited with such curiosity as the opening of the van der Kabel will. Van der Kabel might have been called the Haslau Crassus, and his life described as a pleasure-making mint, or a washing of gold sand under a golden rain, or in whatever other terms wit could devise. Now, seven distant living relatives of seven distant deceased relatives of Kabel were cherishing some hope of a legacy, because the Crassus had sworn to remember them. These hopes, however, were very faint. No one was especially inclined to trust him, as he not only conducted himself on all occasions in a gruffly moral and unselfish manner, in regard to morality, to be sure, the seven relatives were still beginners, but likewise treated everything so derisively and possessed a heart so full of tricks and surprises that there was no dependence to be placed upon him. The eternal smile hovering around his temples and thick lips and the mocking falsetto voice impaired the good impression that might otherwise have been made by his nobly cut face and a pair of large hands from which New Year's presents, benefit performances and gratuities were continually falling. Wherefore, the birds of passage proclaimed the man, this human mountain ash in which they nested, of whose berries they ate, to be in reality a dangerous trap, and they seemed hardly able to see the visible berries for the invisible snares. Between two attacks of apoplexy, he made his will and deposited it with the magistrate. Though half dead, when he gave over the certificate, to the seven presumptive heirs, he said in his old tone of voice that he did not wish this token of his decease to cause dejection to mature men, whom he would much rather think of as laughing than as weeping heirs. And only one of them, the coldly ironical police inspector, Harbrecht, answered the smilingly ironical Crassus. It was not in their power to determine the extent of their collective sympathy in such a loss. At last, the seven heirs appeared with their certificate at the city hall. These were the consistorial councillor Glanz, the police inspector, the court agent Neupeter, the attorney of the royal treasury Knoll, the bookseller Passvogel, the preacher at early service Flax, and Herr Flitte from Alsace. They duly and properly requested of the magistrates the charter consigned to the latter by the late Kabel, and asked for the opening of the will. The chief executor of the will was the officiating Burgermeister in person. The under-executors were the municipal councillors. Presently the charter and the will were fetched from the council chamber into Burgermeister's office, 
They were passed around to all the councillors and the heirs in order that they might see the privy seal of the city upon them and the registry of the consignment written by the town clerk upon the charter was read aloud to the seven heirs. Thereby it was made known to them that the charter had really been consigned to the magistrates by the late departed one and confided to them scrinio rai publici, likewise that he had been in his right mind on the day of consignment. The seven seals, which he himself had placed upon it, were found to be intact. Then, after the town clerk had again drawn up a short record of all this, the will was opened in God's name and read aloud by the officiating burgomaster. It ran as follows. I, von der Kabel, do draw up my will on the 7th day of May 1790, here in my house in Haslau in Dog Street, without a great ado of words, although I have been both a German notary and a Dutch domine. Notwithstanding, I believe that I am still sufficiently familiar with the notary's art to be able to act as a regular testator and bequeather of property. Testators are supposed to commence by setting forth the motives which have caused them to make their will. These with me, as with most, are my approaching death and the disposal of an inheritance which is desired by many. To talk about the funeral and such matters is too weak and silly. That which remains of me, however, may the eternal sun above us make use of for one of his verdant springs and not for a gloomy winter. The charitable bequests about which notaries must always inquire I shall attend to by setting aside for three thousand of the city paupers an equal number of florins, so that in the years to come, on the anniversary of my death, if the annual review of the troops does not happen to take place on the common that day, they can pitch their camp there and have a merry feast of the money, and afterward clothe themselves with the tent linen. To all the schoolmasters of the principality also I bequeath to every man one August d'or. My will being divided into clauses, this may be taken as the first. Second clause. It is the general custom for legacies and disinheritances to be counted among the most essential parts of the will. In accordance with this custom, consistorial councillor Glanz, attorney of the royal treasury Knoll, court agent Peter Neupeter, police inspector Habrecht, the preacher at early service Flax, the court bookseller Passvogel, and Herr Flitte, for the time being, receive nothing. Not so much because no Trebellianica is due to them as the most distant relatives, or because most of them have themselves enough to bequeath, as because I know out of their own mouths that they love my insignificant person better than my great wealth. Which person I therefore leave them, little as can be got out of it. 7. Preternaturally long faces at this point started up like seven sleepers. The consistorial councillor 
a man still young but celebrated throughout all Germany for his oral and printed sermons, considered himself one most insulted for such taunts. From the Alsatian Flitte there escaped an oath accompanied by a slight smack of the tongue. The chin of Flax, the preacher at early service, grew downward into a regular beard. The city councillors could hear several softly ejaculated obituaries referring to the late Kabel under the name of scamp, fool, infidel, etc. But the officiating burgomaster waved his hand. The attorney of the royal treasury and the bookseller again bent all the elastic steel springs of their faces as if setting a trap and the burgomaster continued to read, although with enforced seriousness. Third clause. I make an exception of the present house in Dog Street, which after this, my third clause, shall just as it stands, devolve upon and belong to that one of my seven above-named relatives, who first, before the other six rivals, can in one half hour's time, to be reckoned from the reading of the clause, shed one or two tears over me, his departed uncle." in the presence of an estimable magistrate who shall record the same. If, however, all eyes remain dry, then the house likewise shall fall to the exclusive heir whom I am about to name. Here the burgomaster closed the will, remarked that the condition was certainly unusual but not illegal, and the court must adjudge the house to the first one who wept with which he placed his watch, which pointed to half past eleven, on the office table and sat himself quietly down in order in his capacity of executor to observe, together with the whole court, who should first shed the desired tear over the testator. It cannot fairly be assumed that, as long as the earth had stood, a more woe-begone and muddled congress ever met upon it than this one composed of seven dry provinces assembled together, as it were, in order to weep. At first, some precious minutes were spent merely in confused wondering and in smiling. The congress had been placed too suddenly in the situation of the dog who, when about to rush angrily at his enemy, heard the latter call out, Beg! and who suddenly got up on his hind legs and begged, showing his teeth. From cursing they had been pulled up too quickly into weeping. Everyone realised that genuine emotion was not to be thought of. Downpours do not come quite so much on the gallop. Such sudden baptism of the eyes was out of the question. But in 26 minutes something might happen. The merchant Neupeter asked if it were not an accursed business and a foolish joke on the part of a sensible man, and he refused to lend himself to it. But the thought of that house, that it might swim into his purse on a tear, caused him a peculiar irritation of the glands, which made him look like a sick lark to whom a clyster is being applied with an oiled pinhead, the house being the head. The attorney of the royal treasury, Knoll, screwed up his face like a poor workman whom an apprentice is shaving and scraping on a Saturday evening by the light of a shoemaker's candle. He was furiously angry at the misuse made of the title Will and quite near to shedding tears of rage. 
the crafty bookseller Passvogel at once quietly set about the matter in hand. He hastily went over in his mind all the touching things which he was publishing at his own expense or on commission, and from which he hoped to brew something. He looked all the while like a dog that is slowly licking off the emetic which the Parisian veterinary Demet had smeared on his nose. It would evidently be some time before the desired effect would take place. Flitte, from Alsace, danced around in the Burgermeister's office, looked laughingly at all the serious faces and swore he was not the richest among them, but not for all Strasbourg and Alsace besides was he capable of weeping over such a joke. At last the police inspector looked very significantly at him and declared, in case Monsieur hoped by means of laughter to squeeze the desired drops out of the well-known glands and out of my Bohemian, the caruncle and others, and thus thievishly to cover himself with this window-pane moisture, he wished to remind him that he could gain just as little by it as if he should blow his nose and try to profit by that, as in the latter case it is well known that more tears flow from the eyes through the ductus nasalis than were shed in any church pew during a funeral sermon. But the Alsatian assured him he was only laughing in fun and not with serious intentions. The inspector, for his part, tried to drive something appropriate into his eyes by holding them wide open and staring fixedly. The preacher at early service, Flax, looked like a beggar riding a runaway horse. Meanwhile, his heart, which was already overcast with the most promising sultry clouds caused by domestic and church troubles, could have immediately drawn up the necessary water as easily as the sun before bad weather. If only the floating house navigating toward him had not always come between as a much too cheerful spectacle and acted as a dam. The consistorial councillor had learned to know his own nature from New Year's and funeral sermons, and was positive that he himself would be the first to be moved if only he started to make a moving address to the others. When, therefore, he saw himself and the others hanging so long on on the drying line, he stood up and said with dignity, Everyone knows who had read his printed works, knew for a certainty that he carried a heart in his breast which needed to repress such holy tokens as tears are, so as not thereby to deprive any fellow man of something, rather than laboriously to draw them to the surface with an ulterior motive. This heart has already shed them, but in secret, for Kabel was my friend he said, and looked around. He noticed with pleasure that all were sitting there as dry as wooden corks. At this special moment, crocodiles, stags, elephants, witches, ravens could have wept more easily than the heirs. So disturbed and enraged were they by glance. Flax was the only one who had a secret inspiration. He hastily summoned to his mind Kabel's charities and the mean clothes of the grey hair of the women who formed his congregation at the early service, Lazarus with his dogs and his own long coffin 
and also the beheading of various people, Werther's sorrows, a small battlefield, and himself. How pitifully here in the days of his youth he was struggling and tormenting himself over the claws of the will. Just three more jerks of the pump handle and he would have his water and the house. Oh, Kabel, my Kabel, continued Glance, almost weeping for joy at the prospect of the approaching tears of sorrow. When once beside your loving heart, covered with earth, my heart too shall mull, I believe... Honoured gentlemen, said Flax mournfully, arising and looking around, his eyes brimming over, I am weeping. After which he sat down again, and let them flow more cheerfully. He had feathered his nest. Under the eyes of the other heirs, he had snatched away the prize house from Glance, who now extremely regretted his exertions, since he had quite uselessly talked away half of his appetite. The emotion of Flax was placed on record, and the house in Dog Street was adjudged to him for good and all. The Burgomeister was heartily glad to see the poor devil get it. It was the first time in the Principality of Haslau that the tears of a schoolmaster and teacher of the church had been metamorphosed, not like those of the Heliads, into light amber, which encased an insect, but like those of the goddess Freya, into gold. Glance congratulated Flax, and gaily drew his attention to the fact that perhaps he, Glance, had helped to move him. The rest drew aside, by their separation accentuating their position on the dry road from that of Flax on the wet. All, however, remained intent upon the rest of the will. Then the reading of it was continued. End of the opening of the will by Jean-Paul Richter, read by Rachel Novotny, The Black Forest, Germany.